Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now we welcome in Jimmy Stein, team expert for Bama Online, here to react to Alabama's 26-20 victory over Texas A&M on Saturday. Jimmy, I think we we're both on the same page as far as you know, Alabama, this being a really difficult challenge for Alabama, probably one of the most difficult challenges on the entire schedule. I understand that Texas A&M wasn't ranked. They were barely on the outside looking in. I understand that there was a similar situation a couple of years ago when Texas A&M was able to get the victory, but this felt even more um, difficult simply because Texas A&M and the way that they matched up with Alabama with its defensive front, Alabama's offensive front, uh, the fact that they could stop the run puts you in some obvious passing situations. And then they also had the, a pass rush that could uh, create difficulties for your passing game. It was, We just felt like it was a bad combination for Alabama. We both picked Alabama to win. We picked them to win close. Uh, I think it was a little bit uh, you know, more you know, a six-point win. They covered the spread. I think I had a win in by two. Um, I don't remember what you had a win in by, but I want to say it was Three. three yeah three, three. So we were right there in the same range i think we actually had very similar scores uh but just kind of get us started with your initial reactions to the win uh did it play out kind of how you thought it was going to what was different what you know just what were your initial thoughts yeah, it certainly played out a little differently than i thought although i was really close on the score at 23 20 and it ended up 26 20 and i know you're in the neighborhood too we, we sort of all were and i think tim watts nailed it the score exactly. Uh, so I would say score-wise, it played out. I did think Alabama would win a really close game that was decided late. Uh, so that that played out like I assumed. Uh, I knew it would be hard fought. I knew it would be ups and downs. I thought Alabama might get behind. That happened. So in that sense, it played out like I thought. W- w- the way I didn't envision it, Clint, is that Alabama would uh, – would score almost exclusively on the right arm of Jalen Milrow, that it was the run game really didn't contribute anything at all to, to this win. The win came due to outstanding defense, particularly in the second half, and uh, a, a really nice performance from Jalen Milrow in an historical historical career day for Jermaine Burton. Didn't see that coming. I mean, in terms of – I mean, I knew Burton was a good player – and was probably a better player than the fans give him credit for. I didn't see a a non-catch 190-yard day with two touchdowns. Uh, So there were surprises. Burton, Milrow being as good as he was throwing it, uh, Alabama not being able to run the ball at all. Uh, And that second half was so good. But in the end, Clint, huge, huge win. We can talk about the existential stuff for the – the metaphysical stuff about how the dynasty is not over and people doubted Saban and he proved them wrong and all that stuff. Forget that. It's a big win because just look at the standings. <laughs> Your goal is to win the West, right? N- none of, of, of what Alabama would love to achieve uh, happens without winning the West and getting to Atlanta. Saturday was a massive step. F- far to go to clinch it, Clint, but Saturday was a huge step 
in the direction of Atlanta. And uh, gosh, if you'd have told me post-Texas or post-South Florida that Alabama would be in Atlanta at the end of the year, I would be one excited, happy camper. Yeah, it was such an interesting game because there were moments where you felt like it could, um, things could get ugly for Alabama when they go down seven points. Uh, you start to wonder, okay, th- this is kind of what Texas A&M was hoping for. Give yourself a lead, uh, start to lean on that defense. Now Alabama's the one. It's kind of like in soccer. You know, if you can score that one goal, it just feels like such a difficult thing for the other team to overcome because soccer's so low scoring. With Alabama's offense and the way that it's set up, going against that defensive front for Texas A&M, you kind of felt like seven points, uh, now all the pressure's on Alabama to just get that one score to tie it back up, which you know is possible. But just with the way that the defenses were playing, you knew there were limited opportunities uh, to to have a drive that would position yourself to score a touchdown. It wasn't a field goal. It wasn't a touchdown to win. It was simply, uh, you know, a touchdown to tie. And then you're just right back in it. Uh, it's kind of the way that it felt. And then there were also times where you're like, Alabama can really put this thing away. I mean, so many moments. And really, it was not until the only time that I would say that they really rose to that occasion, even though. You know, the blocked field goal, uh, return it for a touchdown, uh, a sixth touchdown this year called back due to a penalty. I mean, at this point in six games, Alabama would be averaging a touchdown more uh, per game on its average scoring average if uh, they just simply had the touchdowns count that had they had scored all of them. Um, yeah, it's, it's I've, I don't there's a lot of things with this team. I've never seen anything quite like it. This is one of those things because that just doesn't happen very often. But it was the the safety where Alabama had kind of given itself a two-score lead. And that's where you started to feel really good, you know, if you were an Alabama fan. Uh, but then there were plenty of opportunities that Alabama kept giving Texas A&M and kept doing things, kind of shoot itself in the foot. The penalties were a major problem. Uh, but at the same time, finding a way to win. Uh, it, are there concerns? as far as the road is concerned. I mean, being on the road, Alabama has not played great in the last two or three years. Uh, That continued. They did not play great, but they found a way to win. In some ways, in some ways, there's a lot of differences. I'm not saying that this this played out the same way, but it it feels, I think because everybody was picking, not everybody, a lot of people were picking Texas A&M and felt like they had a really good chance to win this game. And you don't get too many of those if you're an Alabama fan where there are people picking against you. Um, you know, that makes it different. Nobody was giving Texas a chance last year, but even though they came away with a win last year against Texas, they did it in such ugly fashion. And so it was you're you're happy about the win. It was difficult. It was an eleven AM kickoff or, you know, whatever early kickoff. It was really hot. You know, a lot of things were working against Alabama in that game. They found a way to win, and you're happy about that. But at the same time, you also have to look at the things that you got to get cleaned up. Penalties are a major problem, uh, but there was some good too. Uh, and, and talk about some of the good. Well, and we'll start with, um, yeah, we'll go ahead and make the jump to the the defensive side of the football and the pass rush in particular, because who were the two main guys that we were talking about when it came to Texas A&M? You know, it was Walter Nolan up front, and it was Shamar Turner. And those were the two big-name guys. They had done a lot of good things for A&M, two of the better defensive uh, linemen on that front, even though they're good across the board. 
and those two guys combined for two pressures in a sack. Uh, Alabama's two big guys that everybody was talking about as far as their pass rush, Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell, they combined for 14 pressures in two sacks. And so Alabama got the performances that we were expecting more out of their big guys, uh, the, the big name players up front defensively than Texas A&M did. Yeah, and I, I really think ultimately in terms of why the game was won is exactly there uh, in the sense that uh, all week we said, including myself and, and, and you too, I mean, we said, it, you know, here's the problem. <laughs> their front against Alabama's front when, when, when Alabama's on offense, Alabama's offensive line uh, has been struggling and now they're going to play five, three five-star defensive linemen uh, and, and a solid group of, of edge and linebackers. And I was real impressed, by the way, with uh, with with uh, Cooper and, and, and Diggs and York, who's a true freshman. Uh, man, they, they got some dudes. But Alabama's front seven outperformed Texas A&M's, and that's why Alabama won the game. Uh, I wrote yesterday on, in a column on, on BOL about – Hey, just look at the defensive line's numbers. I think uh, McKinley Jackson, Nolan, and Shamar Turner, seven tackles, one sack, one tackle for loss. Alabama's three defensive linemen. I ain't even talking about Braswell and Turner yet, but Alabama's three defensive linemen, uh, 17 tackles, three sacks, three tackles for loss, uh, just dramatically outperforming the Texas A&M guys that, that we thought would be the difference in the game. Actually, the real difference in the game, Tim Keenan, Justin Aboigby, Tim Smith, Jaheim Otis, and of course, Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell, the best pair of outside linebackers on any one team in the country. I think Dallas Turner continues to play like he is the best defensive player in this league. Uh, he showed it again against A&M. And uh, the pressures on Max Johnson – uh, the, the complete domination of line of scrimmage, A&M, they ran the ball better in Alabama, but not really. I mean, they didn't run the ball well at all uh, due to Alabama's dominance up front. Just another fantastic performance by Kevin Steele's defense holding uh, an explosive offense like A&M to just three points in the second half on the road. You just can't say enough about them, Clint. Uh, you know, it, it's it's you don't want to go too far with it. You're just at the halfway point, Clint, but I, I've been thinking it all along, and now I'm starting to say it out loud. I, I, I think by the time this season ends, uh, you'll be able to ask college football experts across the country who was the best defense in college football in 2023. I think the answer is going to be Alabama, and that's the first time in quite a while we've been able to say that, and that's the reason uh, if Alabama gets to Atlanta, uh, it, it's on the backs of that defense. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the group, I, I, and I just posted this over at the uh... – the roundtable message board over at Bama online in the second half, Alabama is averaging an sec play giving up 126.3 yards and 4.3 points. So if you extrapolate that over an entire game, that's just over 250 total yards of offense and 8.6 points. Uh, holy, you know, not, holy 19. Not, <laughs> that yeah. sounds like the 2011 deep. Those, I think those are literally, we'll look it up. I think that's literally the 2011s defense's output i mean it, it exactly i mean and alabama needs them to be that right now like they're getting better offensively they really are it, there's some concerns still about the the run game uh we knew texas a&m I, we we ignored the fact that 
the opponent was a really good run stopping defense. And then they also had some complimentary pass rush. Like they were good or are good at stopping the run on early downs and then taking advantage of that when it's passing downs. And Alabama brings a lot of that as well. They do it in kind of different ways. Uh, but it, so sometimes it's just the opponent. But at the same time, uh, Alabama's run game was completely shut down. But defensively, they're compensating. You know, they're keeping. Imagine if this defense was the 2022 defense or 2021, where, you know, you have some of these games where the opposing team's able to put up some points. How much pressure would that be putting on Jalen Milrow? He's he, every time he's stepping out there for a drive. I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously they got down uh, against Texas uh, quite a bit, um, but as far as getting down multiple scores, that's just really not happening right now. And so every time Milrow steps on the field, sometimes he's down. You know, sometimes he's down by a touchdown, but it's never to a point where it's like, okay, now this entire game is on my shoulders. Like we're gonna have to. Even though Alabama ended up dropping back and throwing the football, and I thought Milrow responded extremely well to that, which better than I expected, to be honest with you, uh, and have to give him tons of credit for that. That was a very well-managed game. wasn't perfect by any means, but give him a ton of credit. But, you know, if he was stepping out there and Alabama was down 10 points or 14 points, it's a different feel. Uh, and so give the defense credit for keeping them in the game because normally some of the other aspects of what you would get uh, you know, the the complimentary run game if you're the quarterback, that's what helps takes pressure off of you. And Alabama was getting none of that on Saturday. So it was the defense and the defense alone that was aiding and the offensive line. And I also want to talk about that too, uh, because you talk about the pass rush, and I know I just pivoted there, but you know, I really want to talk about this offensive line. Uh the pass rush mattered, or the defensive front certainly mattered. You're a thousand percent right. There's also a flip side of that, though, and I think a big part of this game was the fact that Alabama's offensive line held up better than Texas A&M's did because when you look, uh, Texas A&M officially, I think they had six sacks and Alabama had five. According to Pro Football Focus, uh, Alabama's offensive line was responsible for only two of those sacks. Texas A&M, was uh, their offensive line was responsible for all five. Alabama had 21 pressures, or excuse me, Texas A&M allowed 21 pressures. Uh, Alabama's offensive line only allowed seven, and or excuse me, their entire offense. That, that includes running backs and tight ends. The entire offense only gave up seven pressures to A&M. Any of the other sacks and stuff, that's Milrow stepping into things that he shouldn't, and, and they'll gauge things in different ways. But Alabama's offensive line, and when you look at those two sacks, the two sacks came from Jaden Roberts, the third string right guard, and Elijah Pritchett, the backup left tackle. So as far as your typical starters that you would see on a week-in, week-out basis, zero sacks. Caden Proctor over the last two weeks has only given up two total pressures, two hurries. But he's showing substantial improvement. Uh, I think that was a key difference in this game too, Jimmy. Yeah, it was a real strange-looking game for Alabama's offensive line. I think if you look at the running numbers and you look at the sack numbers and the and the the, the penalties – and, you know, it, it's, it's easy to leap to the conclusion that the offensive line was bad uh, or, gosh, how did, how did you win the game with, with that group playing so poorly? But then when you actually watch what happened snap per snap and, uh, and, and literally break down each play over the course of four quarters, 
you see the the five offensive linemen actually weren't that bad. They 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 actually weren't. They they were actually helpful uh, in, in many ways. And I wouldn't say they played a great game by any means, but they also weren't the problem that you might believe from just looking at the stats in the game. The stats in this in this particular instance don't really tell an accurate story. I, I think the group is getting better because the younger guys are gaining experience, specifically Caden Proctor, who started out the season as a liability. Let's be honest. I mean, he was a liability in some September games, and now he's 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 forming, he's 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 evolving into an asset. Uh, we got to remember how young Tyler Booker is. Now, Booker's, in my opinion, Alabama's best offensive lineman, but he's also extremely young. He came into the season with just one start, and even J.C. Latham, who's sort of seen as the 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 star of this group and the guy that's just almost uh, ready for the first round of the NFL draft. He's a true junior. This is just his second season starting games. Uh, he didn't play much as a true freshman. So he's really a second season kind of guy. And you're sort of looking to him to, to lead the group. Uh, McLaughlin and Dalcourt, uh, and of course, Dalcourt wasn't available this week due to injury. Uh, you know, they're, they're probably not guys that you're going to see walk across the stage and hug Roger Goodell, you know, his first round picture. You're, you're not going to see that from the, they're, they're just, they're just good players, but they're not next level freaks. Like, like, like so many Saban starters end up being. So I, I, I think this group is getting there, but the reason they're improving in my opinion, a they're, they're gelling as a group. And frankly, Clint, here's, here's one criticism I have. I know that, that Jaden Roberts played because Dalcourt was hurt and his backup, regular backup, is also hurt, I, I'm sort of ready to see five guys. And, and I don't care who they are. I never put – I want who Nick Saban and Eric Wolford believe are the five best guys and just stick them out there. I, I'm not – I'm just convinced that offensive lines about chemistry, playing with each other, knowing each other's games, and, and, and gelling as a unit. Uh, I think they're close to doing that. And, and I think what over the first half of the season was a struggle. Second half is going to be a huge asset. Yeah, and I completely agree with what you just said. Uh, now, granted, I, I do think Caden Proctor is benefiting from the rotation. Him being close to 370 pounds, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, he's been trying to lose some weight. Maybe he got too heavy. I don't know. It hadn't been asked. Uh, he doesn't look slimmer, like notice. I mean, because he wouldn't lose the kind of weight where you would notice it this quickly. Um, but I mean, he might be three sixty five or three sixty or whatever. Uh, but you know, I think him playing less snaps, and you're not getting even though Elijah Pritchett was one of the two offensive linemen to allow one of the two sacks that was given up. Uh, you know, he's playing pretty good football too. And I will say, and you're not doing it for this reason, but. Fans will be very glad that they split reps this year to come next year. Like, how much yeah. did that help Tyler Booker? Even though he wasn't a starter, him playing 400-plus snaps last year really benefited him, and it benefited yes. the offensive line. So, Caden Proctor, I, part of me thinks, you know, could they end up settling just on Proctor and that be it? I think he's, he gets in better shape if he can hold up and sustain his his current level of play. I don't know how much of that is him improving, which I definitely think that he is. I just don't know how much. Uh, but on top of that, how much is it him playing less snaps where he's in better condition, where he doesn't have the breakdowns when he starts to get fatigued? I can't answer that question. That might not have anything to do with it, but it could be contributing to that 
yeah. Uh, so you, that's something that you've got to, you know, weigh with this whole situation. Uh, but the, the situation at right guard, um, you know, it, it, I think Terrence Ferguson, which you kind of feel like they were starting to try to settle in before these injuries hit. And this is why you need backup offensive linemen. And I thought Jaden Roberts, considering he played a good game. Uh, he was not perfect by any means. He had a couple of penalties. He allowed a sack. Uh, but considering he is, you know, the 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 number four guard, you know, the third string because Terrence Ferguson is going to come in, be that first guy off the bench. Uh, the fact that you got that level of play against that defensive front, you really couldn't have asked any more from him. So give him major props for his, for his performance and really just the offensive line in general because – uh, it wasn't perfect by any means. They, were, they struggled to move that front in the run game. They couldn't get anything going on that front, so you don't want to sit here and say, oh, it was an amazing performance. But I thought they got some good individual performances on the offensive line. Uh, J.C. Latham was incredible. I thought Proctor the last two weeks has been really, really good, showing a ton of improvement. Um, and Tyler Booker, um, he, had, he was more flash in this game. You know, You saw some of the flashes of just what makes him – one of the best offensive linemen in the country, but I don't think he had his best game from a consistency standpoint, which is to be expected against this defensive front once again. So that's not surprising by any means, but uh, you know, there's still some improvement that needs to be made, but give the offensive line a ton of credit. Also, let's talk about Jalen Milrow. Give him a ton of credit. Uh, eight passes of 20 yards or more. I think that's a season high. I could be wrong on that, but I mean, six for eight on those, which is crazy 75 percent completion rate 200 yards and two touchdowns that he was able to attack vertically but they also kind of they combated texas a&m and the way they were attacking them defensively by getting into a quick rhythmic passing game on the shorter stuff wasn't screens or anything like that uh but they actually i saw significant growth from jalen milrow as far as his ability to manage taking the quick rhythmic passes consistently. I thought mechanics was better. Were they great? No, a lot of his passes are high, but you know, I thought it was better from a consistency standpoint, and it was the difference because A&M wasn't expecting Alabama to be able to do that, uh, and when they were able to, A&M really didn't have an answer because if you adjust to that, you're giving up or you know, you're giving up the vertical shots, and you know, that would have loosened things up for the run game and you probably would have seen Alabama continue to have success. Uh, or not continue, but start to have success on that front. And so A&M kept saying, I mean, he's doing well with this short to intermediate stuff right now, but can he sustain this for four quarters? And he did. And that was a huge difference in the game too, Jimmy. Yeah, Alabama just doesn't win the game without Jalen Milrow. I mean, they just don't. I mean, Milrow is – is, and, and when you, you factor in, you know, what makes Milrow a potentially special quarterback? Well, his legs, uh, he is – Pretty much, I mean, I think when healthy, he, he's the the best runner in, in all of college football. Jane Daniels is certainly up there, but uh, that's what makes Milrow special, I think, is his unbelievable athleticism and his ability to run 21 miles an hour. You just don't see many quarterbacks that can do that. Well, Saturday, you know, not addressing an injury situation at all because Alabama never said he was hurt, you know, or anything. I, I just find it a little odd that we get to – his fifth start and this is one where you would think they would really rely on his legs and frankly there was just none of that at no point in this game did Jalen Milrow run as fast as Jalen Milrow is capable of running uh he was even more hesitant to run there were uh, I think one 
uh, design QB run that was called the entire game. And there hasn't been enough in the past, but but there were fewer. There were fewer to none this week. So, you know, maybe he wasn't completely healthy, I think is a fair uh, hypothesis about why there wasn't any running Saturday. So that means Jalen really played this game with one arm tied behind his back. I mean, it's sort of like Superman playing without his cape. How, Jalen's, if Jalen's not going to run. How confident would you have been going into this game if you knew, you didn't know officially what it was, how extreme it was or whatever, but we said Jalen Milrow's legs would not be much of a factor in this game. How confident would you have been in Alabama's ability to win? Near zero, and I'm more of a Milrow guy than most. And, and I, I would have been at near zero. And so, and, yeah, and, and, so and, your and, point, and, give him a ton of credit for that. Oh, no, no doubt. It's like, it's like literally, like I said, it's like Superman playing without his cape. I mean, that's what makes him special. And, and it wasn't available by either game plan, design, or injury. We don't know. We'll never know. But he just did not run the football against A&M and still won the game uh, with his arm and with improved decision-making. And like I said on the roundtable last night, Look, two things can be true. We need to cut it out in message board world where we think only one thing is true and everything is, <laughs> you know, you know, only, there can only be one thing that's true. Actually, there can be multiple things that are true. And here are two things that are true about, about Jalen. Uh, he has come a long way. He is a better player right now than a whole lot of Alabama fans ever thought he could ever be. And he's already that good after only playing well, technically less than half of a season uh, as a starter. He is a really good SEC quarterback and a playmaker to the point that even without his legs, he can go into College Station and win a game with his arm. So we have to start acknowledging how far he's come and how good he is and that Alabama actually does have one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC, and he is the reason that Alabama might make it to Atlanta. Maybe it's because of him, because without him, would they? Not, not based on what we've seen. Now, secondly, here's another thing that's true. He's got a long way to go. There are deficiencies. There are things he must improve or things will go sideways. Uh, some of those things are simple. Like, for instance, he's still not as consistent as he needs to be as a passer. Uh, he missed a wide open Burton one time. Uh, the short and intermediate stuff is is not on point. It's better than it was but it needs to be even better. He's not decisive in terms of when to bail the pocket and run. Uh, he takes sacks. Alabama's sack numbers are super high, makes offensive line look bad. A lot of it's on him. He's, it, 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 he's still indecisive uh, back in the pocket. So both of those things can be true. He can be great, and the reason you win the games, he also has a long way to go as would almost any college football quarterback who's made only six starts in his career. So uh, Jalen is, I think, uh, the reason Alabama won the game. I mean, I know it's defensively and holding them to three points the second half and that pass rush, but when I say he's the reason they won, I think we've all seen what quarterback might look like at Alabama without Jalen Milrow, and I, I don't think that that South Florida offense was going to win that game in College Station on Saturday. So uh, – I think Milrow well deserves offensive MVP for not only this game, but this season. And uh, I'm excited to see, look, if, if he can get this much better in five starts, what's he going to look like after 11 starts? And, and I'm excited about that. 
that is, you know, I was very pro Jalen Hurts early in Jalen Hurts' career. I had predicted that he was going to, like, right there, you know, with the, I think about a month before the season when fall camp got underway. It was one of those situations, anytime no one's stepping up to win the quarterback battle, as that drags on, you start to say, okay, Hurts um, is a guy who had, had done some good things in the spring. The coaching staff really likes how he's developing. You're hearing all this positive, uh, you know, all these positive things about him. And so you start to wonder, okay, if no one else is going to step up, maybe they'd go ahead and turn to him. And that had not really been something that Nick Saban had done, uh, you know, as far as first year true freshman quarterbacks. But I was very pro Jalen Hurts early in his career. By the time that we saw him, you know, we saw the entire 2016 season. We had saw, seen the entire 2017 season and the limitations that he had. And the reason that I was very anti-Jalen Hurts starting over to Atungavaloa entering 2018 is because we had seen regression. And, and that's one thing, you know, he's been a guy who's steadily gotten better seemingly throughout his entire career, year over year. That's not true. He regressed from year one to year two, and it was fairly significant. I think some of that was pressure, and he was terrified to make a mistake, and he was worried about Tua Tungvaloa, uh, you know, taking his job. You know, I can't throw this pass if I throw an interception here. Uh, you know, I'll end up getting benched. You know, the, kind of the Jalen Milrow treatment, and he was throwing picks, and everybody wanted him gone. Get him out of here. Uh, and Alabama gave some other guys a chance as a result of that. And so, you know, I think Jalen Hurts, he was approaching it very – Sometimes limited offense, like uh, limited uh, mistakes, equals limited offense because you're too worried about making a mistake, and I think that's where Hertz was at. But he regressed as far as being a player in 2017. Uh, but then from that point, when we we didn't see too much of him throughout the 2018 season, you see him come in in the SEC championship, and then you're like, wow, he has gotten better. And if I'd have seen that Jalen Hurts at any point early on, I probably still would have been leaning to a tongue of a low, but I would not have been that much on Alabama has to have to as a starting quarterback in 2018. My reason for saying all of that is to say Milrow is growing. And as long as he is growing and is moving in the right direction, which he clearly is, nobody can say that he is not a better player today, a much better player than he was against Texas in week two. And, you know, even against Ole Miss in the first half against Ole Miss, I mean, every week he's showing growth. And I will say you're correct. He cannot stop growing because this is not still not a quarterback that I think Alabama can win a national championship with. I certainly think they can because I believe in his growth and the way that he's heading. But my point is that if you you're going to reach a point at some point this season, uh, Georgia, maybe in the SEC championship, maybe it's LSU, that high-powered offense, you're going to reach a point where he's going to be facing a double-digit deficit. I just think to expect the defense to play lights out every single week and to expect, I mean, we've already seen the running game struggle, uh, you know, so there are going to be games where it's like he is the guy, and that was kind of the case in this one, and he overcame in a very hostile environment, so he's certainly capable, but he also had the defense bailing him out, you know, not bailing him out, but helping him out. And so he didn't ever face a 10-point deficit uh, with a limited run game where it's like, you're going to have to be the one to overcome and score multiple on multiple drives uh, for you guys to have a chance to win. And when that happens, I don't know that he's quite there where he can do that. But I will say 
he is so much closer to that than he was in week two. And I've I've been give Tommy Reese credit. You know, everybody wants wants to blame him for everything. Quarterback development is not simply on Jalen Milrow. Uh, I think it's it's Tommy Reese embracing who he is as a player, building around that, taking him specifically and saying, hey, let's put a lot of emphasis towards getting you better in some key areas. And I think he's doing that. And that's helping this Alabama offense and this Alabama team, Jimmy. Yeah, uh, my, my favorite play to talk about is, and again, this is a lot of speculation on my part because Nick Saban hadn't addressed the play. I don't know that he will. I haven't spoken to a source close to the program to say, hey, what happened here? So this is just me speculating. But I think a lot of Milrow's growth was very apparent on one terrible play that almost helped Alabama blow it on Saturday. And that was, of course, uh, after Jace McClellan makes his great catch that gave Alabama a new set of downs. And now Texas A&M had no timeouts left. And there was like a minute 45 or a minute 50 or so, and, and they had no timeouts and really, at that point, mathematically, all Alabama really had to do was kneel it out. And uh, horror of horrors, there's Milrow throwing a ball. And I'm sure every Alabama fan from uh, one end of the country to the other fell off their, their couch, go up screaming, no. Well, actually, what I saw in that play, Clint, is some fun development and growth. Because this is my interpretation of what happened. Uh, Mil- uh, McClellan catches the ball. We see in our homes, on our couches, we can see the replay that he did catch it. The ball didn't hit the ground. It's fair to believe if you're on the sidelines at Alabama that that ball may have not been caught. And they do not want a replay to stop the game. They don't want the call reversed. So what happens is on the sidelines, they send in a signal of basically hurry, 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 which means get a snap off. Get the snap off. We don't want that player reviewed. So they send in the hurry, hurry. Milrow sees it quarterback in command of the field, knows to hurry, hurry, get everybody lined up, gets the ball snapped before there could be a formal review. It's a big success. Well, what else happens? Well, Milrow's also been coached into his head a million times. He has heard this from Tommy Reese and from Nick Saban. No matter what we ever call from the sideline, whatever the play is, if there is a wide receiver who is uncovered, forget what we've called, throw the ball, to any receiver who's not covered. The punters are told the same thing. Hey, when you're a punter and you go into punt, we don't have to have a fake called, but when we have a gunner on the right or the left and he is uncovered by one of their players and he's just standing there, throw him the ball. You don't have to wait on us. You throw him the ball. So Milrow sees Benson uncovered. He's doing what he's coached to do. So he takes a snap, he's thrown out to Benson, and then something else fires in his brain. Yes, probably a little late. Something fires in his brain to go, what am I doing? There's a minute and a half left in this game. I should not be throwing this ball, even though they've told me to a million times. I'm not, shouldn't be throwing this. And that's why the ball was half thrown and skipped to a wide open Benson. But my point of that whole story, which is a lot of speculation, I think it's probably true, but it's speculation. My point of the story is, you see all of Jalen Milrow's growth right then and there. Yeah, it's a little slow. Yeah, it's not not where it needs to be, but he got everybody lined up. He did as he's coached. He's killing the play. He's going fast. And then coaching, the coaching. Hey, he's uncovered. He's uncovered. They told me, forget the play call. Throw it to him when he's uncovered. He knew to do that. 
but then he also thought game situation, game situation, and he stopped himself. And again, it wasn't pretty. It was a bad play. Nick Saban went nuts about it, and it could have even cost Alabama. But you got to really see how his brain is working, and all of the stuff he's coached to do is there. It's all in his head. He's so close to putting it all together. And I think we saw in that play how close he is, but also because it's not all together yet, you're always kind of close to a bad play too. I a thousand percent. I don't know what led to the events, but there's when he made that throw, that was not a good heavens. What, how awful was that throw to me? When I saw it, it was someone that was in the middle of a windup about to release the football and realized I'm making a mistake. And so that is exactly what I've told anybody that's asked about it is I can't. And I kind of approached it. Hey, it's kind of same thing you said. He's told, you know, to run something. But if he sees something different in these particular situations, if he's presented with something, he, he can take, you know, he can check out of it. And Burton probably was looking at him, sending him the signal. I'm uncovered over here. And he decided, to, okay, we're doing that. And then he realized after the snap, right as he's about to throw, wind up everything. I mean, he's committed. And that's the thing. You know, if, if you're going to do that, I, 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 you appreciate the fact that he is learning. And he's like, wait a minute, I'm making a mistake. And then you, you know, taking it into the ground, it's an incomplete pass. But at least it's not a turnover. You know, at least it's not Miami running the football against uh, Georgia Tech and your guy turns the football over and gives the other offense a chance. That would have been catastrophic. Uh, so it, it's it's a lesser of two evils, uh, a lesser of at least several other scenarios that could have played out. But, um, you know, if he would have committed to it, that's an easy pitching catch. Alabama's probably getting a first down, if not more. It's game over. Might yeah. have been a touchdown. It could have very well been a touchdown. And so, you know, sometimes quarterbacks – their instincts take over and they fully commit to something like that. You've also got Jarrett Garantanos over here who decides to go rogue on the goal line against Alabama and, and try to do the quarterback sneak over the top, whatever it was, fumbles the football, Alabama returns it 100 yards, whatever it was for a touchdown. And so that can go very wrong too. We've seen it go very wrong, but uh, that was him. You know, he saw the right thing. And I, I mean, honestly, uh, Nick Saban might have not been screaming at him for throwing it. He might have been screaming at him for being reluctant. Not like you saw it, get it to him. Like you've made that decision, right. throw it. Uh, and if you throw it and you can get it to him, I mean, it's game. It, it, it might be a touchdown. Um, I don't know that definitively. That's yet again speculation. A lot of what we do on the show speculation because I mean, there's just there's nothing that we that you can see things. You can think it's playing out a certain way for a certain reason, and you could be way out in left field. Um, but yeah, that is certainly something to, you know, worth talking about. And so overall, great game. Uh, and if he can continue to nail down the short to intermediate stuff when he, if he is banged up or, you know, for whatever reason, knowing his legs are, are an option to be a dynamic player that helps. And you know, he's got the deep stuff and he's still making a couple of, unnecessary mistakes you know the turnover was not the interception was not great uh you know so he's still taking some sacks that he shouldn't uh and those are drive killers and against certain teams that could be the difference in the game uh you start trying to get in one of these old miss you know shootouts from what was it 2020 uh you know where it's just it's like if your defense can get one stop that's all it takes to create that's exactly what happened 
Uh, Alabama's defense got one stop, and they were able to create the separation that they needed. If, you know, Ole Miss's defense was terrible, but if they would have been managed on one drive in that game to get a crucial sack, put Alabama in second and 15 or something, or, or third and 11, uh, and then gets that one stop, that could have been the difference in the game the other direction. So it can cost you, but he's improving. And man, just it, it's been fun to watch because I will admit, uh, I believe in growth from any player. Uh, was worried that the things that he was not showing improvement on as far as decision-making, throwing the what-are-you-thinking throws, at least one or two of them. And we saw it in A-Day. We saw it last year in mop-up duty. We saw it, you know, the, the, the turnovers in the start against A&M. We saw it every step of the way against Texas. And you just start to wonder, is this just who he is as a player? And he had one, but he overcame, and the good far outweighed the bad. Uh, let's get back to the defense. Well, you know what? We'll talk about Jermaine Burton first and these wide receivers. Uh, still very limited targets as far as spreading it around. But you, in this particular game, you had two guys become the featured pieces of the offense, and it's a combination that's kind of been sitting there at the top for most of the year in Jermaine Burton and Isaiah Bond. Uh, really good performances from both those guys. Yeah, let's not forget Bond. I mean, it was definitely a career day for for Burton, but a career day for Bond as far as I'm concerned anyway. I'm sure that those numbers probably bear that out. But great, great performances. Jermaine Burton just could not be covered by Texas A&M. Milrow did a good job of of, of highlighting what was working and continuing to go back to it. Uh, You know, as good as those two are, and they're going to continue to be great and continue to be uh, uh, the focus going forward, heard a lot of complaints about, well, where is – Ja'Cory Brooks, where is Kendrick Law? One thing I want to remind everyone, everyone, there's about three different facts here that have nothing to do with how, how if Ja'Cory Brooks is progressing or regressing. Here, here, these three facts. One is Alabama now has seven wide receivers in the first team rotation. That is a lot. Without I mean, Emmanuel Henderson. And, and that not, doesn't even count Henderson. So, Clint, now we talked all summer about this very thing. How many receivers will be in the first-team rotation? Uh, you know, May, June, and July when we're doing our shows and we're looking for things to talk about. This is one we talked about all the time. And we commented even back then, we thought it would be six because we knew seven is a stretch. Eight, wow, you're, 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 you're just spreading yourself too thin. You know, now you've got your sixth guy and your eighth guy on the field and your first and second guy are on the sidelines and they're fresh. Why would you do that? So – Seven's a lot. So, so right now there's seven. You also have this, Clint. You have three tight ends that they feature all of them. Now, they want to throw the ball to Nye Black more than they want to throw it to Dupree and Robbie Oost, but they still throw it to Dupree, and they still throw it to Oost. We've seen him make one of the biggest pass receptions of the year. So you got seven receivers. You got three tight ends. There are two other facts to throw in here. One is 12 personnel. And that's getting a little a little into the weeds in terms of technical football stuff. But what it really means is Alabama uses the 12 personnel package more than any other. That's what they do more of the time than any other personnel package. And what 12 personnel is, is two tight ends are on the field. So that means only two receivers are. So now you've got seven receivers, but most of the time, Time, we only line up with two on the field. You're playing more than probably you should, but you're lining up with only two. That's fewer snaps for everybody. That's fewer snaps for Burton and, and Bond, to say nothing of 
Hale, Law, Prentice, uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, they're just not playing as many snaps. Now throw in one more logical number. We're throwing it less. We threw the ball more with Bryce Young than we throw it with Jalen Milrow. So fewer passes, more receivers, 12 personnel. That means somebody's not getting any balls and and, and, and has nothing because you'll read things occasionally or hear opinions. Boy, Ja'Cory Brooks, he must he must be in the doghouse or he must have really regressed. No, it's all those things I just said. There's just not opportunities for guys in that rotation uh, week to week for all of those reasons. Yeah, it's interesting because at the end of last year, right after the Sugar Bowl, you start looking ahead. And I wrote an article talking about the importance of Jermaine Burton, the way he played down the stretch last year, the fact that he can really add to this Alabama wide receiver room in 2023. And then my number one guy, just breakout candidate at the position was Isaiah Bond. And throughout the the course of the entire offseason, the fact that you had so many different players, and Malik Benson was such an exciting JUCO addition and the fact that he's got that kind of college experience you bring those juco guys in expecting them to contribute from day one and i really liked you know the 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 different element the physicality and stuff that a guy like kendrick law was going to bring to the wide receiver group and i thought that the offense i mean really um it hadn't been ultra physical like we thought it was going to be ultra physical and, and kendrick law would bring that dynamic to the receiver room and, and to the offense through the receiver room which would just, I mean, make it that much more uh, of an offense that you didn't want to play. Like they're throwing short passes to Law, and he's running like a running back, and he's hitting him is not any more fun than hitting these running backs, and that's not fun. And in this offensive line, it's like I thought that was going to be the the identity of the team, but you know, right now, and and from a oh I was right perspective, it would be great if Benson and Law, who were my two guys by the end. I mean, I, f- I really feel like I almost cycled through every one of these receivers just about and thought, okay, this could be the guy. Okay, this could be the guy. I mean, Corey Brooks was had a really good spring, and was they were posting videos of him making some incredible catches over Kool-Aid McKinstry, and it's like, I mean, he might – I mean, are we selling this guy short? This is a five-star talent. He's the most experienced receiver in the room pretty much as far as playing within Alabama's program. Like, are we selling him short? Is he going to be the number one or the number two? I didn't – I have never viewed him as the number one. I thought maybe from a target's perspective, it could be the number one, but I, I never thought he had the talent from what I've seen up to this point to be the number one receiver. But I thought, is he going to be heavily in, in, in the mix and be like the number two guy, maybe even lead the team in targets? You know, you, so you wonder all these things. Uh, but I will say, I don't care about any of that. I And I've talked about this all offseason, and you kind of alluded to it there as far as the number of players. I'm, if you're an Alabama fan, do you want Kobe? Do you think Kobe Prentice deserves more opportunities? Do you think Malik Benson does and Kendrick Law and and all these? Sure, yeah. I mean, but I'm totally fine with them condensing this wide receiver room to one or two guys. As far as the heavily utilized players, they're on the field most of the time. That's two players that that Jalen Milrow at wide receiver has to build chemistry with, and from the looks of it. You know, it's been this way as far as snaps played. It's been Burton and Bond. Uh, obviously, last week against Mississippi State for, you know, uh, Burton was a little bit banged up, so that changed things a little bit. But it has been those two guys as far as targets. They've kind of, you know, the black's been sprinkled in and had some performances. But at wide receiver, it's been those two players. And in this particular game, that paid off in a major way because Jalen Milrow has chemistry 
with these two players. And so instead of trying to force all these other guys to get involved and, you know, you're trying to build, you know, because because Kobe Prentice is not going to run the exact same route that Isaiah Bond is, period. They're two different players. They do things differently. And so I think, you know, going more of the Jamison Williams, John, I'm not saying these two players are those two guys, but going more of that route where you force feed two players in the, in the, at your, you know, uh, wide receiver position. I'm totally fine with that, Jimmy. Oh yeah. Well, uh, one of the most amazing stats, I think it's our, um, our subscriber member at BOL on the board, Jim Norman, let's give him credit. Cause he's the one that, that found this, uh, was the first person to my knowledge to bring this up. Alabama's had a different leading receiver in all six games. It's never been the same guy more than once. It's been a different player in all six games. On the one hand, that sounds great. Like you're hard to defend. On the other hand, some of these guys aren't catching a lot of balls and they're really not the week to week guys that you depend on. CJ Dupree, for instance, was our leading receiver against South Florida, uh, Jalen Hale, uh, against Ole Miss, uh, I, I'm with Clint. I, I think the best two receivers on this team are Jermaine Burton and Isaiah Bond. They're the best two. They're the ones that Milrow seems to trust the most. We know their talents, their special talents. And seven's just too many when you're playing 12 personnel as much as Alabama does. Why, why are you playing seven receivers when all, there are only two on the field most of the time? Uh, I, I, I think – it's not like they're getting worn out. Uh, I think Benson uh, and Law are guys that that should be uh, with the first team, but maybe playing fewer snaps. Uh, I, I, I want Jermaine Burton and Isaiah Bond to be the the targeted receivers, and I think we saw this past weekend why they're both very good talents. I think both will play in the NFL, uh, and, and I think Bond could even potentially be a real high pick with his uh, extreme speed. Yeah, it's just. Um... This wide receiver room, it has a chance to to be really helpful and really good. And you know that if guys get banged up or they're out, you've got players who can step up and be trusted. Uh, and granted, I understand in a transfer portal era, you want to keep as many of these guys involved as possible because you know if they're playing, maybe they're not getting the targets they want, um, but at least they're playing. Uh, I will say this too. Um, this wasn't the case on Saturday. Thirty-three pass attempts. That's that's enough. Uh, you got two guys involved. Heavily heavy usage. You also had what is it? Six different players catch a pass, including uh, four only four receivers caught a pass. But you know that's great. Um, but understand, and I've seen people have been concerned about the passing game and the fact that it's limited. And you know, oh, guys are going to transfer. Uh, if, if you don't get them more involved and I've seen other people counter that and be like, you're not, I mean, if you're starting and you're playing for national championships and you're at Alabama, you're not leaving to go anywhere else. I will say to that, Jermaine Burton, Jermaine Burton <laughs> won a national championship was the number one receiver. I understand they featured their tight ends a ton, but as far as the receivers are concerned was really their number one receiver was expected to be going into that next season. And he said, nah. Uh, no Stetson Bennett. Yes to Bryce Young, a Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, give me that the stats. Is crazy. Yeah. So I mean, understand. Uh, my my point in saying all this is, I think Nick Saban understands that. So he's trying to get as many guys in, involved as possible because if Kobe Prentice decides to transfer, not saying that he is considering it or ever would or whatever, but if he did, I got a feeling he'd be a hell of a player for somebody else. I mean, uh, oh, no, number no, no. one. Look at Christian Leary. 
I mean, he wasn't even close to, I mean, I wouldn't say he went close to playing in Alabama, but they played a lot of other guys over Christian Leary, a lot of them. And now he's catching game winning touchdown passes to, to win Georgia Tech the game against Miami. Uh, one, one thing true for sure, tell everybody all the time, just because they're not playing every week at Alabama, that doesn't mean they're not good players. Not at, not at Nick Saban's Alabama. At Nick Saban's Alabama. Kyrie Jackson. I don't think he'd be starting at Alabama. He's not as I, I'm just flat out saying Kyrie Jackson is not as good as a is not as good as Kool Aid McKinstry, Terry on Arnold, or Malachi Moore, who plays star. He's not as good as those guys. Maybe, yeah. But you know what? He's good. He's good at Oregon. He's doing really, really well. That doesn't mean he's as good as the ones Alabama's got. But just another example of. There's a lot of good players in Alabama, not just the guys we see every Saturday. A thousand percent. Yeah. And, you know, it, I will be curious to see, um, you know, the, it felt like this was a t- the type of game that Alabama can build on. Uh, I would like to see this continue to be the case. And, and I understand that, that if it continues to be the, the Burton Bond show, uh, Burton's leaving after this year. So you could probably convince some of these guys to stick around because they're playing and next year you expect them to be a much bigger part of the offense. Well, and you would expect either Milroe to be a much better player in 2024, or you got, you know, uh, Dylan Lonergan going into year two. He's shown some things. You got Julian saying a prodigy, according to everybody uh, coming in. So you would expect the passing game for one reason or another to be better in 2024 from a consistency standpoint. Yeah, you sell them. You sell them on. Hey, the offense next year. This was Milrow's training wheel offense. The training wheels were on. <laughs> next year, training wheels come off, and uh, we got a quarterback that can throw the ball about seventy-five or eighty yards in the air. So, I think you'll 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 want to be here when we're throwing it 30, 35 times a game. And whether it's true or not, <laughs> but that's what you can sell them on. That the offense next year won't, won't look like. The offense this year because Milrow will be more advanced and more ready for that. And that 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 that'll keep some of the guys around. But hey, 2023, Clint, this is this is how surprised you need to be when anyone enters the portal. None. Be none surprised. Yeah, I mean, and, and I will say I'm sure there are programs that are negatively recruiting the way things are playing out in Tuscaloosa, in the sense of there was some concern. Tommy Reese coming over, gonna use a lot of 12 personnel all these receivers they got. I mean, how can you feature all of them? How can you feature multiple? I mean, Alabama has run an offense that's featured for receivers, you know, that all ended up being first-round draft picks. And this is not an offense that's designed to be able to do that through various reasons. The personnel, uh, the limitations, the current limitations at quarterback, the offensive line not being built to drop back and throw a ton. Um, You know, it's just for one reason or another. Um, You know, that's been the case. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's just part of it. It's winning football games, and the number one thing for Alabama is winning. And the fact they're able to do that is is pretty big. I do want to talk a little bit about a the fact that Deontay Lawson was back. He played every snap on defense. Uh, yeah, which you know I was kind of in some ways I was shocked, in other ways I wasn't. Um, you know, Jahad Campbell only played 15 snaps. I mean, he, he played almost as many snaps this week as he had tackles last week, uh, you know, which Tresman Marshall, good player against the run. He played the run extremely well on Saturday. And I know that he, you know, kind of gets lost in coverage. He's kind of limited athletically. Uh, and that kind of hot can be highlighted and exploited by opposing offenses. But when you watch him against the run and what he provides there, uh, you know, I still say overall he played a good game 
even though there are some limitations. But I think it, to me, at least, it was surprising that Jahad Campbell only played 15 snaps. Uh, but then on the, in the secondary as well, we'll go ahead and kind of just talk about both of them here because we're going to have to wrap it up. It's, you know, Malachi Moore goes down. You know, we saw the adjustments from Alabama, Tyrion Arnold, Trey Amos, uh, you know, that, and I thought Tyrion Arnold can certainly play star at a high level too. You worry a little bit more about the perimeter without him being out there, even though I think Amos is a good player. There is going to be some drop off there, maybe even, you know, very noticeable drop off. I, I think Amos is a good player though overall. But then also let's let's give Caleb Downs a ton of credit. He's playing great football. I mean, he was already playing good football, but he's playing, he's he's becoming the guy that we thought he was going to. Interceptions in back to back weeks was a huge momentum changer. Um, you know, getting that interception after Jalen Milrose to kind of hand the momentum back to Alabama. So secondary and linebackers, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, they're great because this is, uh, again, I, I think this is the best defense in the country. I know that's such a Homer thing to say. It's such an Alabama fan thing to say. I also think it's the the 100% correct thing. <laughs> By the end of this season, we're going to say, that's oh, the best defense in college football. And, and a lot of people point to Kevin Steele and the coaching, and, and no doubt that's a big factor. But to me, it's almost always the personnel and the the the, the Jimmys and the Joes and not, not the X's and O's. There's just so many good football players. But Losing Malachi was such a huge blow because he literally plays three positions for Alabama in one game. He will play three positions in regular. He plays safety and in, in nickel. He plays star and dime. He plays money. So when you lose Malachi, you sort of have to replace him with three players, not one, three. Uh, in that sense, he's easily the most valuable defender Alabama's got. As good as Deontay is, as much as Deontay is the quarterback of the front seven, that's why he didn't come off the field. Malachi, to me, is the most valuable because of all of the roles he plays, and he plays them so flawlessly. I don't think we're giving enough credit to Trey Amos, who, who comes in and plays cornerback. He's, he plays corner. Malachi's out. That means Terrion slides to star, so there has to be a new cornerback, and that cornerback is Trey Amos. He's playing – head up, man-to-man man, man on Evan Stewart, on Noah Thomas, on Moose Muhammad, on Anaya Smith when he lines up outside and not in the slot. And he, he didn't give up much. He gave up a little. He didn't give up much. And you know this is the way football works. Clint knows better than I do. When the other team sends a backup cornerback in the game, the offensive coordinator standing up in the coaching's booth. He's standing up. Go after nine. We're going after nine. Nine's the new guy. That's not a number that we saw when we were doing all the tape work. We didn't see a number nine, but now we're seeing number nine. We're going after him. And guess what? He gave, he gave up next to nothing, did a great job, uh, and in my mind was one of the more unsung heroes of the game was Amos stepping in for Malachi and Deontay playing every single snap coming off that ankle injury. Unbelievable. Uh, just quickly on Trez, I'll just say this. He's always the type of guy that's going to be undervalued by the fans because sometimes you can see him not being quite – good enough maybe sometimes but one thing about him he always knows what to do and where to be and when he comes to the sidelines he hardly ever hears from the coaches what were you thinking or what were you doing he knew what to do every single time he just maybe doesn't have that sort of skill level it takes to dominate his spot but it is very valuable to the coaching staff that they trust him they trust him because sometimes there's busts they know he's not going to bust. Yeah, and 
the trust is big with Alabama's coaching staff. Like him being limited, he might give up something, but if he's in the general area, you know, he can make a play. Uh, guys, he keeps things in front of him. Guys rally to the football, whatever. Uh, sometimes if you can't be trusted, your mistakes when you do the wrong thing can be what leads to a touchdown. You know, it can be because you're designed, they're designed, every play is designed to score. I mean, I say that not everyone necessarily, but I mean, if if everything is executed to perfection, uh, you know, it's pretty much every play can score. Um, and you know that if you're the one guy that's not doing his job on a particular play, you can be the reason that it, that score happens at the same time. Um, there are some limitations and we, we have to acknowledge that. I don't have any problem with people saying, Hey, He's a good player. He's not an elite player or a great player, but he continues to do two things. He's stopping the run really well, and he's also applying pressure on the quarterback, and that certainly makes a big difference. And with Alabama got all, you know, having all these other playmakers, Deontay Lawson, Dallas Turner, uh, Caleb Downs, Kool-Aid McKinstry, Tyrion Arnold. Kool-Aid didn't play his best game, by the way, uh, but he was, he was, you know, that's going to happen from time to time. But when you've got all of those other playmakers, sometimes it's just better to, to know, okay, we don't have a dynamic guy, game-changing player at X position, but we know we're going to get the job done most plays and that we can live with that because then you rely on the other ones to make the special plays. Uh, that, you know, and Jahad Campbell's ceiling is obviously a lot higher, but maybe coaching staff just can't uh, trust him as much as Trez. That doesn't mean they don't trust him. It's just it, between the two when deciding, you know, you lean a little more towards Tresman Marshall. Um and, and Malachi Moore's absence is big. Uh, we don't know how long he's going to be out, but he not only has he been a very versatile, important piece, but he's also, in my opinion, he has, has he been the best player on defense? No, even though he's been a really good player. Certainly, I guess it would I would put him in that conversation or at least in that tier two category, but it, it, he's been the heart and soul of the defense. I mean, he's been the one that's been, when things have been going wrong, he's been the one out there jumping people, demanding more from his teammates and he's playing his tail off and he expects everybody around him to play their tail off in the energy level. We talk about what Kevin still has done for this Alabama defense, as far as the intensity that they play with, even though it's a lot of the same similar players, Kevin Steele's getting more out of these guys as far as their attitude and their approach. But it's also guys like Malachi Moore being on the field and he's in a position where he's making plays. You see him playing hard. He's out there for every snap. And so he's in a better position to make demands of other people. And he is fully, uh, he has been fully, you know, having those expectations. And it's not just him. I mean, I thought it was great that Deontay Lawson seemed to kind of jump Dallas Turner for the, you know, block in the, uh, the, the blindside block. Um, because, I mean, what, was it penalty worthy? No, I don't think they should have called that. I thought that was a little ticky tack. But it, why risk it? What was the point in it? How did that help you? Uh, was that guy going to catch? Uh, Chris Braswell, no. I mean, Braswell was about eight or nine yards ahead of him with yeah. a wave of guys between them. Uh, so it I mean, it was tied in too. I think it was yeah. a tight end. It wasn't even a defensive back. So it was just, it, I was mean, it wasn't even a wide receiver. Yeah. yeah. It was just, it was, you know, somebody wanted to get a little bit, and it wasn't a harsh. I wasn't like he was trying to hurt him. He just wanted to get a little, you know, love tap on him. Um, so was it penalty worthy? No, but don't think you should have risked it either. But Deontay Lawson was like, what are you doing, man? That's, that's 14 points right there. This game is over. If you don't do that, I mean, it, and those are the kind of mistakes that you just you, you can't have. Alabama's got to get that cleaned up. But, uh, you know, Malachi Moore has been a huge part of holding people to the standard. And the defense as a whole really 
uh, give them credit. They've all been living up to that standard for the most part. Jimmy, this has been fun. We've gone over an hour. Uh, certainly could probably go way longer, but this has been fun. Uh, always enjoy hopping on here with you and we'll be doing some other content, uh, over on the BAM online YouTube channel with, uh, Travis and Charlie and everybody else. Certainly looking forward to that. Uh, I, I love doing that pretty much every week and Arkansas is up next. So I appreciate you as always. We will talk again soon. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.